If you have your Bibles tonight, you find yourself in Leviticus chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 14. Had to put a title on this evening's message. It would be guilt-free. Guilt-free. I don't know about you, but I like being guilt-free. And I've, I have uh, felt uh, guilt, and uh, maybe you're here tonight and you're having some uh, issues with that as well. I remember growing up, my brother and I, uh, and he was always getting me in trouble. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, I let him do that. I never, I, I never instigated things. I was, he, it was always him. It's always on him. But uh, we would do some things, and, uh, and then we would say things like, don't tell mom or dad. Some, y'all did some of that too, didn't you? I remember my mom had a car. For some reason, she left it at the house. It had snowed. My dad took her to work, and it was a, 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 on a, a three-speed on the column. And uh, my brother said, why don't we take mama's car out and drive it around the block a little bit? And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. See, I always try to talk him out of this stuff. And, and uh, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. He says, they will never know. They'll never know. And I said, okay. So we went out there, and I kid you not, we made sure that we, we, that we knew exactly where the car was parked in the driveway. And uh, Dad had uh, left uh, to take Mom to work. And so we made sure, if we were going to do this, that we need to do that same track. I mean, we had it all figured out. So we get in the car, and we got it kind of stuck. Uh, long story short, we burnt the clutch out. And so uh, I said, what are we going to do? He says, I'll tell you what, don't mention it. I said, well, they're going to find out. And, and sure enough, the next day or two days, my mom comes in and she says, something's wrong with my car and I can't get it. And my dad goes out there and, uh, and I knew, I knew, I knew. And so my brother was in there and I said, we're, 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 we're in trouble, we're in trouble. He says, you think so? I said, he's going to know that you burnt the clutch out. And so as soon as my dad walked in, my brother goes running and says, Dad, I just want you to know it was Mike's idea. Well, he felt guilty about it, but he was wanting to throw me under the bus. Some of you, uh, have you not uh, felt guilt because you knew what you were doing was not the right thing to do? Well, we see that guilt, when we think about guilt, guilt can cause a, a number of other issues. Guilt, and I have seen it firsthand, uh, guilt has caused emotional issues. Guilt has caused mental issues. And guilt can even cause physical issues. You ever heard that saying, uh, guilt just about ate me up? It will. It will. Guilt will eat you up. And, but we need to also understand there's two kinds of guilt. There's the false gift. Now, what do you mean by false gift? Well, it is here is that uh, it is uh, that you have said or someone else has said some, some high standards, uh, unreasonable standards for you. Whatever that may be. And you're not able to meet those standards. And so because you cannot reach these standards, even though they were unreasonable, you felt guilt. 
You felt guilt because you didn't meet the standards that had been set. Do you understand there are some folks that set standards that are unreasonable before themselves? And then they try to achieve them. People that, have, that are perfectionists. If you talk to perfectionists, a lot of times they have issues with guilt. Because they want to make, they set these high standards. Now, we should set high standards, but we don't need to do unreasonable. And, and, but they'll go ahead and set these standards, and they work, and they work, and they work, and, and they never reach those standards, and then they feel guilty about it. Now, they haven't harmed anybody. They haven't uh, sinned, uh, but they have set unreasonable goals or standards, and that is false gift. But then, and this is what we're we're going to camp out on tonight is that there is true guilt. What is true guilt? Uh, true guilt is when you break God's law, when you sin uh, against God and you have a, a feeling or a conviction in your heart, you know that you have sinned, you know that you've sinned against God and you know that you've hurt others because of your sin, then you realize that guilt is going to help you to understand that you need to go ask for forgiveness for that and aren't you glad tonight that when you come to understand that I need to go ask forgiveness of this guilt. I've hurt God. I've hurt others because of my sin, because of my disobedience. And so when I go and ask for forgiveness with a contrite heart, when I go and ask for forgiveness and I'm truly sorry for what I have done, aren't you glad to know that the Bible says when you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you each and every time. Isn't it good to be guilt-free tonight? Guilt-free. See, at one time we were guilty and we stand before a holy God. Now, I'm not talking about the judgment seat, but we stand before a holy God and we know that we are guilty because the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that, guilt has, uh, has motivated us, if you will, that I need to go ahead and get rid of this guilt. I'm telling you, there are many people in the church today that have not exercised what they can have that they can go and ask for forgiveness and they have guilt but nobody else knows about it. They don't show it on the outside but the guilt is hurting them and the guilt is putting a, such a burden upon them that they're very miserable and you can tell it in their countenance, uh, countenance that, that, that there's something wrong but you really don't know what's wrong because you can't see in their heart but God sees in their heart. Isn't it, I mean, and many of us have done that, have we not? We carry that guilt around for so long that it seems like it's just second nature for us to feel the way we're going to free, uh, feel. So we need to understand you can be set free of that tonight. You can get rid of your guilt and you can have forgiveness of your sin and you can have a burden lifted off of you to where you can say, thanks be unto God, I am now now been set free. So, what is guilt? What does it mean? Well, look at verses, uh, starting in verse number 14. We're going to see three classes of sin that he talks about here. And in these three classes of sin, they cover all the sin. So all sin is covered. 
uh, sin brings about a guilt, and rightfully so. Because when we stand before God uh, with unconfessed sin, then we should feel guilt. But the first thing that we're going to see tonight is found uh, starting in verse number 14. We're going to see sin against the holy things. Listen to what the Bible says. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Well, if I can flip my page here. Well... Let's try this again. Matt, have you done something to mess me up? Okay. <laughs> Do you not feel guilty about this? Yes. Okay. Good. Okay. We're, we're, it, it's getting there. I'm sorry. I say it's getting there. Matt, you really have done something. Matt, Matt. It is a short timer here. Y'all do know that, right? And so he's going to go ahead and aggravate me. And it's always the sound guy's fault, right? Yeah, that's right. And the guys in the sound booth say, no, that's not right. So, uh, we'll go and here, here, in verses, uh, and starting in verse number four, going through uh, verse number, uh, here it goes, here it goes. Now, yeah, all right, praise the Lord. Okay. Y'all with me? You still with me? Technical difficulties have arised because Matt has messed things up. It's not pulling up. Okay. All right. We can do it this way. Uh, there it goes. There it goes. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, right, Mike. Well, the whole thing. Starting in verse number 14. Here it talks about, it talks about having to bring a a sacrifice, okay? Looking, starting in verse number 14. And it talks about the holy things. The holy game. You can sin against the holy things. So what is the holy things? In the Hebrew, it, it means two different things. Now, stay with me here. And so, uh, the two things that we see. First of all, that uh, the holy things, uh, that it is a feeling or a conviction of the heart. When you have guilt, be it false guilt or, or, or true, but we're talking about true guilt. You, you're, you have really sinned. You, you are actually guilty. It should bring about this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should have a feeling in your heart. You should have conviction in your heart, I've done wrong. Okay? And by the way, if you're a believer and you have sinned, and you say you're a believer, and you have sin, and it does not bother you, then you might need to check your conversion experience. The Bible is quite clear that when we get saved, doesn't mean we're not going to sin. We are still going to sin, but the sin affects us far differently than it did before. You should be convicted. You should have a feeling in your heart, I've done wrong. But then there's a second thing uh, that uh, we need to look at, and that is, it's a state of being. What do we mean by that? Guilt is, you recognize the fact that you stand, when you stand before a holy God, you are guilty. 
The Bible says that He has set a high standard for us. And we recognize that when we stand before a holy God and that we, because we are sinners, now this is before salvation, that when we are sinners, we stood before Him and we were guilty as charged. Okay? You were guilty. The Bible says you were a sinner by nature and by choice. But we also need to go a little further with this, is that when you're a believer and you stand before God, now watch the difference here, that when you're a believer and you stand before God and you realize I'm standing before a holy God. Now, I can fool everybody else around me. I can go ahead and have the right language. I can go ahead and do all the outward signs that I'm all right with God. But God knows my heart. And when God sees my heart, He sees wickedness and He sees that I need to repent of my sin. And so I'm recognizing I am guilty. When I stand before a holy God, I am guilty as charged. But here's the good news, and we've already alluded to this. But when I come to realize that I need to ask for forgiveness of my sin, that I come to realize I need to confess my sin, that I stand before Him and I repent of my sin, then that guilty charge has been removed to where now when I stand before Him, He sees me as not guilty. Not guilty. Why? Because of the sacrifice. Remember, we see that they brought the sacrifice here. They were bringing the sacrifice because of the guilt of their sin. And they, they had something in their heart that says, I must do something uh, to get rid of this guilt. i got to do something to get rid of this burden. And so when they would bring the sacrifice, uh, they were bringing a sacrifice to realize that they needed to be forgiven of their sin. And when they were forgiven of their sin, then the guilt was taken away. And so, how, how, how do we do What are the holy things? First of all, the sanctuary or the tabernacle in the case here. The tabernacle was a place set aside where the very presence of God was. Okay? And so when they went into uh, the the, uh, sanctuary, when they went into the tabernacle, they realized they were walking on holy ground. Now, go fast forward. We no longer go to the tabernacle, but we do come to His house. And what we need to understand, and I think we have lost sight of this, that when we come to His house, it's holy ground. We, this building and these grounds are holy things because this building and this land has been set apart and when dedicated that God was going to reside here, that we were going to glorify God here in this place, that we're going to honor God in this place, and that we were going to let the community know this is a place that's holy. And when we come in with a wrong attitude, when we come in flippantly, When we come in and and, and saying, what's our motivation for coming? Now, uh, hear me out here. Don't go and say something I didn't say. 
I'm saying that yes, it's a place for us to have fellowship. I look forward to coming and being with my family. I look forward to coming and and hanging out with you, my brothers and sisters. I really take joy in that. It it really makes me, uh, I just want to come because I like you guys, okay? I I not only like you, I love you. And because we're family, that's what family's supposed to do. And there's nothing wrong for us to have in fellowship. There's nothing wrong for us going and sitting down at the table before Sunday school and having a a cup of coffee and a donut with somebody. That's all part of that. But if that's your own motivation for coming, then you have sinned against a holy thing because the Bible says that the sanctuary is a holy place. This building is a holy place. Now the bricks and mortars and the carpet, nothing holy about that, but what this building represents is holy. And we better come into it with the right attitudes and the right spirit. Because when we come in and and we have a poor attitude or we don't have a right spirit, we quench the Holy Spirit. And when we quench the Holy Spirit, we've sinned against a holy thing. And so it talks about the sanctuary. But the second thing that we see, it talks about worship. Here, when they went to go worship, they understood it was a holy time. Now, we do have expressive worship here. We get happy in the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. But there are times when, if we're not careful, we'll try to manufacture something up that appears to be spirit-filled when it's not spirit-filled at all. We better be careful when we come to worship that we think it's our job to get you worked up. It's the Holy Spirit's job to get us worked up. And so, he's not all right, but holy, the holy days. Now, the holy days uh, were, were very sacred to them. And uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this week, I think it's going into this week, uh, Feast of the Tabernacles, that's, that's a, a, a holy time for them. Uh, what, a week or two ago, uh, Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement, that was very uh, sacred to them. And, and they had holy days. The Sabbath was a very sacred day and a holy day for them. If you go uh, to Israel today, you'll, you will see, and of course we understand they're still under the law, but they still have a respect for holiness though. Even though they're under the law. That's the reason why you can't work on the Sabbath. You have an elevator that goes and automatically stops at every floor. Why is that? Because they consider it work if they push a button. Now, I know they go to the extreme with that, and I know they see it. But here's, sometimes we throw the baby out with the the water. I recognize all that. But one thing I do keep in mind is they still believe it's holy. Is the Sabbath holy to us? You say, well, we don't come to church on Saturday. That's right. We come on Sunday. That's a holy day. Because it's a day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ got out of the grave. And so we got to be careful that. I can say a whole lot about that. But So there's holy days. And then also uh, if they were doing spiritual duties. The priest. 
The priests were very careful that when they uh, would, the sacrifice would be brought to them, they were very careful and did exactly what Moses said, that he got his instructions from God, that they would do exactly what Moses told them because they understood Moses had heard from God. And so they, they, cut, they did everything exactly like they were told. Why is that? Because they were treating a holy thing. Treating a holy thing. And so there's uh, the holy things. He said, now if you sin against a holy thing, this is what you have to do. First of all, you have to approach God. Now, they could not approach God on, in their own. They approached God by their sacrifice. And so the Bible tells us here, they were supposed to provide a ram. Do you see that there? A ram, and it had to be spotless, and it didn't have, to have, uh, didn't have any defects about that. Their sacrifice, their sacrifice was, uh, lack of a better word, was their mediator to get to God. Now we see, fast forward to where we're at today. We no longer bring a sacrifice to our services because the, uh, sac- our sacrifice is a complete sacrifice. It was a one-time deal. No need to repeat it again. And because of His sacrifice, watch this, we don't have to bring an animal sacrifice. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says that we can go into the throne room And we don't have to go through the priest. You don't go through the preacher. You don't go through the deacons. You, as a believer, can step on your own right into the Holy of Holies where the very presence of God is there. And the reason why is not because of the sacrifice that you're brought, but because of His sacrifice there on Calvary's tree. And so they had to approach God. But notice... In verse Peter of chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, very quickly, it says, and you'll notice uh, in verse 16 where it talks about uh, the blood and it talks about how they did the sacrifices. In first Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, In the blood of Jesus, uh, as a lamb without spot. See, he was the only one qualified to be our sacrifice. He was the only one, the only one that could do what the sacrifice could only do. And the sacrifices that were brought, and you see it in the Old Testament as well, the sacrifice was spotless and it had no blemishes. It was the perfect sacrifice and that blood purified their sins. But here's the difference here. They had to keep on bringing that sacrifice. They had to keep on bringing the sacrifice. They had to keep on bringing the sacrifice. Every time they felt guilt and every time they felt that they had trespassed against God, they had to bring another sacrifice. I got good news for you tonight. No matter how many times you've messed up and no matter how many times you felt guilty and you felt guilty for the right reason, aren't you glad to know that the sacrifice that was provided for you didn't have to be repeated over and over and over and over over and over again that what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's tree, it was a one-time deal. And no longer do we the sacrifice. It was His blood that gave us remission of our sin. Never look at verses 17 through 19. He goes and talks about the sin against the commandments. 
the, the law, the, the, the commandments of God. So uh, the first thing they would bring a guilt offering for was if they sinned against the holy things. The second all uh, is that they had broke God's law. And so when they broke God's law, they had to bring the sacrifice. Also notice in the, in the scriptures here, uh, going back to verses 14, 15, and 16, uh, notice it talks about uh, shekels and it talks about uh, 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 money here and it says uh, something about a fifth part. Now what is that talking about? Well, first of all, this sacrifice had to be a valuable sacrifice. Okay, that's what it talks about. Uh, how much was it market priced for? When they brought that, uh, that, uh, that ram, they couldn't bring just any old ram. They had to make sure uh, it was fattened up and that if they were to take it to the market, they would get uh, full price for that. That was the sacrifice they were required to bring. The one that was valuable. See, Jesus Christ is valuable. And, and what... And so they would also have to have money, why not? But it cost them to bring their sacrifice. When they went and they said, well, I've got to bring a sacrifice, they had to pick out the best one, the one that would bring them the most money if they took it to market. So it cost the one bringing the sacrifice, it cost them. But aren't you glad tonight the sacrifice that we rest in tonight didn't cost us anything, but it cost him everything. And so it goes in commandments, and they broke the commandments. Now what does that do? What should that do to us? When we break God's law, when, when we're disobedient to what God has told us to do, it should help us uh, to have a burden upon us. The psalmist said it this way, Psalms 38 verse number 4 says, he says, my iniquities, or you can translate, my sins. Listen to what he says. My sins have come over my head. Here's the picture. He, the psalmist says, I have sinned against God. And because of that sin, a heavy burden has been laid upon me as if someone was putting their hand upon me and, and, and bringing me lower and lower and lower. That's exactly how you ought to feel when you sin against God. It should have a burden on you. And, but not only that, he says a heavy burden. Uh, a heavy burden, and he says, and he goes on and says, uh, this is too heavy for me to carry. Now, watch this. There are too many people who are carrying around guilt that they can be forgiven of. They have a burden that is bringing them down. The psalmist says, it's so heavy that if I don't get some relief, I'm done for. Been there? That's exactly how sin ought to make you feel. But here's what's happened to us. We've gotten so callous about it. We've watered it down. We've even entered, uh, changed the name of sins and try to give it names where it doesn't sound quite as bad. 
And we go around and thinking, you know, I got some sin in my life, but my sin is nowhere like it is for Brother Jim down here. I know his sins are pretty open. I mean, you know, compared to that. And here we've missed the whole point. The psalmist says that when you are guilty before God, it ought to burden you in such a place that you said, if I, I got to get some relief. It ought to help you that you don't wait till Sunday morning to come down to this altar that right when you get convicted, you ought to drop down to your knees and you ought to beg to God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And this load, if you don't take it off of me, I'm not going to be able to make it. It's going to do me in. That's exactly how you ought to feel. Because sin should cause us to feel the way it makes God feel. It hurts God when His children sin against His Word. It hurts God when we break His commandments. It burdens God when we are flipping about our sin and we're not taking it serious and we're really not broken over our sin. We'll go ahead and be superficial about our sin, but God takes it very seriously. And it goes on. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. In whom, talking about Jesus, whom He has redeemed us by the blood and forgiven us of our sin. I'm telling you, when you have a burden like that, and when you come before God and you cry out to God, He takes that burden off of you. And not only does He take it off of you, but He throws it away. I don't know about you, but that helps me. And that frees me. And that sets me free. That even though I was guilty, I have found forgiveness in a holy, righteous God. And then in verse chapter 6, you find yourself, look at chapter 6, verse number 1 through 7. Now, we've gone from sins against the holy things... We've looked at sins against His commandments. Now we're going to look at sin against our neighbor. We need to understand, and if you read the text here, we understand that when you sin against your neighbor, you're sinning against God. God takes it personal. David said it this way. David said, my sin had been committed and it hurt others. But David came to realize... Ultimately, my sin was against God. Now, what, what do we mean by sinning against our neighbor? Well, he gives a list. He says, now, here's what takes place. First of all, if you have uh, uh, bared false witness against, he says, if you've taken something that did not belong to you from him, by violence or otherwise, he goes ahead and starts listing all these things. He, he, he says, uh, you, you can lust you, uh, you, 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 can, um, you, you can look at your neighbor and say, you know what, I, I just really, I, I really don't understand why he has that new vehicle sitting in his driveway. I ought to be driving that. And so what has happened is we become envious and jealous of him. And that's sinning. We covet. When we covet, that's sin. You may have a neighbor, and you can justify it all you want to, but you have some malice towards him, 
and it's gotten to the point to where you don't even speak to him or to her. They they say, well, Mike, you don't understand what they did. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. When you harbor malice, when you harbor uh, ill will towards your neighbor, that's sin. It's sin. And and, and it it will eat you up if you're a believer. Now, you can go ahead and hide it all you want to, but eventually it will show itself outwardly. And so he goes on and says, Ezra chapter 9, verse number 6. Listen, when he found out that he sinned against God, he says, oh my God. Can, can you hear Ezra now just crying out, oh my God, I'm ashamed. Are we ashamed of our sin? I mean, do, do we blush? He goes on and says in this text, he says that I blush. In, in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I, I don't want to even recognize the fact that I could sin. And, 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 I'm, and, and I'm justifying. We say, well, I didn't sin against God. I, I just don't like my neighbor. Or, or I've had some harsh words against my neighbor. Or, or we can go on and on and justify it. But here, what we ought to feel is, I'm ashamed I've acted the way I've acted. Especially if your neighbor's a lost person. They say, well, I know how. I've told them to come to church. Yeah, with that great attitude that you got towards them. They, they know you hate their guts. And you go over and say, or, or here's how I'll do. Well, I'll put that Jesus sign in my yard. That ought to have been good enough. Oh yeah, that one orders. Am I not telling the truth? I know it's Wednesday night, and it seems like, well, he's, man, he's really fussing at us. The, the Bible is quite clear, and we got to start recognizing sin is sin, however way you cut it. You can go ahead and minimize it all you want to. God doesn't. And we, we, uh, when we sin against our neighbor, and he says, oh my God, I'm ashamed. And he says, here again, we see it, and it's over my head. And he says that uh, it, 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 the weight has been upon me. Here's what happens. When we start minimizing sin, we can say, well, you know what? No, everybody, uh, what's the big deal? You don't like your neighbor. Okay, get over it. Let's move on. We don't have to have any, I don't have to go and talk to him. He doesn't have to talk to me. You stay in your yard. I'll stay in my yard. Better yet, I'll go ahead and put my privacy fence up and dare you to even look over it. I mean, we can go ahead and try to minimize it all we want to. But the bottom line is, we, when we sin against our neighbor, we're sinning against God. So what, 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 what's the big deal here? The big deal is, now your conscience. Remember that first time that you had a little spat with your neighbor and you went home and it kind of bothered you? See, I, I, know, I know where y'all live and I know your neighbors and I know y'all didn't get along. And... Am I telling the truth? And, and I said, man, I, felt I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have flew off at the handle on him. You know, I, I probably need to go apologize to him. And then here comes Satan, remember? And then Satan says, why do you want to do that? Hey, it's over with. Move on. But now, your conscience starts to get hardened to where it used to bother you. Now it doesn't bother you at all. Matter of fact, when you drive in your driveway and you see them out in the yard, you just go ahead and flip them off. It doesn't bother you at all. 
This is what I think about you, neighbor. I'm telling you the truth. And so what we've done is minimize our sin that when it used to bother us, now it doesn't bother us at all. And we'll justify by saying, hey, not everybody can get along with their neighbors. Well, the Lord expects us to. It's right here in the Bible. It says if you sin against your neighbor, you're sinning against him. And by the way, if we're going to be a witness and we're going to be light and we're going to be salt, how in the world are we light and salt when we have ill feelings towards our neighbors? And so what do we do? So now the conscience has gotten hardened. And when your conscience gets hardened, then you get harder towards sin. And it's exactly where we're at as a nation. You go back 30 years... And some of the things that we're now seeing that are very blatant, we would have never, ever entertained the thought. Why is that? We've gotten hardened towards it. We've justified it. We said it's not that big of a deal. But it's a big deal to God. Now, so what do we we need to do? In Genesis chapter 42, verse 21, very quickly, it says, And the sin has taken hold of me, and he says, it has, and it, it, it's taken such a hold upon me that I can't even look up. The burden of my sin is so heavy upon me. So uh, what does that mean? It says that now, not only has it gotten in my head, but it's filtering to my heart, and now I'm harboring these ill will uh, towards my neighbor here. So what do I need to do about that? Well, we need to, first of all, how do you rectify that? How do they get uh, set free from that? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly uh, you could bring your offering. But it says you also pray restitution. Okay? If you took something from your neighbor, or if you caused any damage to his property, whatever, you uh, restitution. And plus, and that's where it talks about the fifth part that you see there in the verse, that is talking about interest. They required, the, the law required 20% interest. Now, what does that have to say to us? Our guilt offering didn't cost us anything. We don't do restitution to be set free. Now we may do restitution to just make things right, but that will not set us free spiritually speaking because our sacrifice already took care of that. And so they, they would have to go to restitution. Now, what else would take place? Then, on that very day, when they recognized they had sinned, they had to confess. So, wrapping it up, all, what does all this mean to us? First and foremost, we can sin against holy things about how we come with an attitude into worship, how we treat God's house. Uh, we also understand that if I'm uh, uh, working for the Lord, i got to be doing it with the right motivation. If I have the wrong motivation, then that is I'm sinning because I'm not doing it for the, the purpose. Then it goes on and says that there was uh, a guilt uh, offering for if you broke any of the commandments of the Lord. And the third thing that we saw is that we also, uh, they gave an uh, offering if they sinned against their neighbor. So what does that have to say? 
Here's how we're going to wrap it all up. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 through 14, here's what the Bible says. It says, If the, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer purify them, because, go back to the Old Testament, that when they brought that sacrifice, that sacrifice uh, brought, uh, purified them. So it says here, if that purified them back then, how much more than the blood of Jesus Christ that purges our conscience and removes us from dead works to serve a living God. Now watch this, watch very quickly. You can still function with sin unconfessed. But the Bible is quite clear. Whatever you do for the Lord Jesus, it's dead works. It's dead works. And that's the reason why the church in America is in the shape it's in. Because we have watered it down, we've minimized it, and we have been flippant about our sin towards a holy God. And we can go through the motions and we can have all the programs that we need, but it's all in vain if we're doing it with the wrong spirit. Aren't you glad tonight because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and because He willingly and to pay the cost so that we could go free. And you no longer have to carry your guilt around anymore.